I look back at the time we had it at SIU and just so amazed and lucky and fortunate that we had the size of classes that we did with the first, second, and third years and that we all got along so well. And, you know, a dozen, 15 years on, you know, we all keep in touch. We all still love each other. And if somebody called me up and said, hey, I need help, I'd have no problem, you know, doing what I can because it was like this magical place. It was, you know, there were struggles for sure. But the fact that we got to meet each other and do work together and be friends, I think is super rare because I don't know anyone else who had a master's program like that. And it was just really such a, an amazing experience. And I feel so fortunate. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 242nd episode, I'm excited to be joined by a trio of guests that include Kate Kaminsky, Ben Cohan, John Reddington, and I guess myself, all talking about what's going on in our studios. We all met in graduate school years ago at Southern Illinois University Carbondale. we become very good friends and especially during this time of the pandemic where we've been doing these kind of routine check-ins and calls. So while we do talk about process and art, things that we're making, what we were making back then, what we're making now, what's changed, what stays the same, we especially talk about another part of the process of art making, which is the support group that we all kind of create through our communities and how important that is. So again, a very special episode. We shoot off in all sorts of fun tangents, so it should be a fun and lively conversation. So hope that you enjoy listening. So stay tuned for that. If you're listening to the podcast for the first time, I want to encourage you to visit scutybreak.com. We've got a bunch of interviews up there with different artists, each of which have images of the artist's artwork, links to their websites, and of course these interviews, which you can listen to right on studiobreak.com, or just click those links and subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on social media, so be sure and like our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter at Studio Break and on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. I would encourage you to check out some websites as well from our guest artists. So Kate's website is KatherineKaminsky.com, and you can follow her on Instagram and Etsy at The Habitat Shop. If you want to see some of Ben's work, go and visit MBenCohan.com and Ben Cohan Studio on Instagram and my website is davidlinaway.com, and you can find me on Instagram at davidlinaway. We are all currently holding the end-of-the-year sale, so be sure and check it out if you're interested in any of this artwork as well. If you want to get a hold of John Reddington for any reason, just send a DM as he's scrubbed himself from social media, which is probably a good move, especially when you consider that movie The Social Dilemma. And with those announcements out of the way, let's get right into this discussion. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. I'm excited to be joined today by Kate Kaminsky, John Reddington, and Ben Cohan. So welcome all of you at the same time. Thanks, Dave. Hi, Dave. <laughs> Hi, Dave. <laughs> Again, this is kind of long overdue. You know, uh, we've all been talking kind of religiously uh, this past year uh, during the pandemic. So it's interesting because obviously we all met in graduate school, but we're all really, really good friends, probably more so than ever. So again, it's kind of interesting to to bring everybody on. And obviously this last year, we've been talking a lot about making and maybe some of the advantages 
and maybe in some cases disadvantages of our career choices. But for whatever reason, I think it's been very helpful and you know therapeutic almost. So again, it'll be exciting to talk to all of you today. So we're going to kind of go person by person, I guess, just to kind of have everybody give a little bit of a you know brief background, maybe where they're from, and then you know where you currently reside, what you're doing, I guess, and then we'll kind of jump all around from there. So, Kate, you want to start us off? Thank you for inviting me to this wonderful conversation. I am from Illinois. I spent most of my formative years in the Chicagoland area in a magical little town called Orland Park, which is in the south suburbs. And I currently live in Wisconsin in a magical little town called Sheboygan. That's very, very close to Lake Michigan, which I very much love. When you say Sheboygan, you have to be really excited about it. So (laughs) I currently have a studio practice in my home, which I'm very thankful for during the pandemic. And I have a little online shop called The Habitat Shop, which I typically sell mostly at fairs, but I'm only selling online now through my Instagram or my Etsy shop. Right on, right on. How about you, John? Again, it's interesting to think, you know, you were the very first guest uh, for Studio Break. Again, I visited you way back in Peninsula when you were kind of working in some extremely strange garage space. But maybe talk a little about where you're from and, and what you're doing now and where you're living, John. Right on. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm was honored to be a part of the start of your podcast. And I'm really thankful to be here with you guys today. And Ben and Kate. Yeah, so I grew up mostly in Northwest Ohio, around the Toledo area, Perrysburg, Ohio, and decided to get into art, yada yada, Bowling Green, Ohio, Bowling Green State University, met you guys at Southern Illinois, and got a job adjuncting, pretty much full-time adjuncting at the University of Akron. That's where I met my wife. We lived in the Cuyahoga National Park, which was freaking amazing. Really missed that place. Decided to get out of higher education. Me and my wife picked up and moved to Nashville about six years ago. And here we are in Nashville, Tennessee. It's not snowing. It's not cold. It's the (laughs) middle of winter right now. And I'm working as a Finnish carpenter for a high-end build firm in Tennessee and and really, really enjoy it. I still get to create beautiful things with my hands and do art without being stressed out by whatever forces I put on myself or received from from higher ed. So here I am. Free and clear. So that Free sounds and clear. Good. <laughs> so Ben, how about you? Hey Dave. Hey, John. Hey, Kate. Thanks for having me back, Dave. I am in central Illinois, which is where I'm from. I went on a sort of loop because I'm now teaching at uh, Lakeland College in Mattoon, where I studied to get my associates before I went to Millican and Decatur to get my bachelor's degree and then met all of you, like John said, down in Carbondale. Well, I guess I met John and Dave. I was more in the trenches with them in the painting program. And I heard Kate's stereo from the floor, <laughs> <laughs> from the floor below John, I think. Oh yeah. Is it? I'm Kate, I know. I know a, it's an early tangent for me, but I was curious if it's the same stereo you have in your studio now. No, the stereo, okay. excuse me. I have in my studio now is my favorite stereo, my childhood stereo. 
Okay. And it's way louder. So okay. it's good oh, you're not whoa. here. Thank God. But now, <laughs> but now I but now uh, after the past year we went to the Iron Pour in Carbondale as a group and that's kind of where I don't know, Kate, that's where I feel like you and I got to actually get to know each other the most. For sure. You guys were you guys were all third years when I was a first year. I didn't get to know Kate until very recently, but it's really been nice. These monthly chats have been like Dave said, very therapeutic. I think I would have been in a harder spot if I didn't have you guys to goof off with. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I teach full time um, over at Lakeland College and I have a studio practice going and I'm in the studio right now. Yeah, I've got a nice little life carved out here in a small town and I get to work with a former mentor in um, Joe Birdwell over at Lakeland. So she was my mentor in the first two years, and I get to work with her now, and it's pretty awesome because we're the two full-time faculty over there and try to make a nice, rigorous program. With It's been going good. It's weird to do it all virtually, but, you know, them's the breaks right now. So Well, right on. You know, obviously I host this podcast, which I started back in 2011, which is kind of crazy. You know, I'm from the area that I'm more or less living in now, essentially like a suburb over in Wheaton, but I'm from Roselle or wherever that means, I guess, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, literally like they're like just a Chicago yeah. suburb. Right. But I teach at a couple of community colleges out here. been doing that since 2009, where obviously I'm trying to paint. Although, as I kind of alluded to in some recent podcasts, I've been playing a lot of guitar or at least a little bit more guitar and writing some pretty, uh, maybe not the greatest songs, but having a lot of fun with Ben for our unnamed band. We had a kind of weird three-piece in graduate school uh, briefly called Lenaway or Linaway. I can't remember if it was pronounced weird based off my last name, which was kind of, I think, just supposed to be a joke. Oh, <laughs> but um, well. anyways, uh, you know, obviously I'm I'm doing the best I can to kind of patch things together. I think like all of you are. So to kind of think about, you know, going back to that time, all of us have kind of mentioned, you know, more or less, you know, meeting in graduate school. And obviously, you know, Kate shook the foundation of the glove factory where we all met uh, with uh, <laughs> with I, wonderful music, by the way, Kate. You've got a great taste of music, mm -hmm. but I'm especially <laughs> curious to start with, um, you know, Going back to that time, I mean, you know, was there like a, a specific like piece? And obviously we all had thesis exhibitions and I'd imagine that's probably what we're going to highlight. But, you know, was there any kind of like one piece from that time period that was really kind of, you know, maybe important? You know, and again, this is going back almost like, what, 15 years, uh, almost 20, which is kind of crazy for some of us. When you said 20 years, I got a little sad. So. <laughs> <laughs> but Kate, I'll throw that one to you just to start us off, I guess. I think Carbondale was interesting because we had a full three years and it was laid out to me that my first year was just a year to get in the studio and make stuff and kind of see what direction you're going in. So I did a lot of stuff in my first and second year, I guess that I learned what I didn't want to do and kind of found my voice in the direction I wanted to go into. Um, I think my first year I did more casting and metals. And that was newer to me, especially casting and doing iron pours. So that kind of was fun for me, but I realized like I didn't want it to be the main focus of my work. But my third year, things really came into focus. And I think at the beginning of my third year, I did a piece with sugar only as the medium. And I really felt very connected to it. And it made a lot of sense to me because it was this object that I could use. It had, it had a really clean look when I was 
um, using it. It was all white. You know, when you ingest sugar, it gets you really kind of excited and like it tastes good. But if you eat too much, you get sick. And that was kind of the perfect narrative for my work of making and personifying ideas with animals and stuff like that. So my sugared landscape at the end, I guess my thesis show was like my greatest accomplishment, my happiest thing I did. But it took me a couple years to figure it out. And I think that's probably a typical journey for most people. Awesome. Well, how about you, uh, John? I'd like to open up that question to you guys because you all got to see it. And I'd like to hear your take on what you thought might have been a pivotal piece that you guys remember. I know a piece you know, that I'm, it clicked right in my head, leap. actually. I, it must yeah. have been your thesis show. And talking about the word installation, that was really important for my work because I realized like sculpture can be more than just a piece of work on the pedestal. And I think because that's where my head was at, John, the piece that I saw of yours was when you built that wall that curved and then you did a painting on it, right? Like it just was way bigger than and pretty interesting than than anything I remember seeing Yeah, the you one do. that was tucked up in the corner that had the birds coming out from it. Yes, yeah. It was about eight feet tall and maybe eight, 12 feet wide on a radius. Mm-hmm. I think it was just white and orange, I believe. I mean, I haven't even dug through those photos or images. To be honest, I hope I still got them somewhere. <laughs> They're on a hard drive somewhere, an external. <laughs> I just don't know where any of that stuff is. Well, and I think that's kind of the piece, you know, to piggyback off of that, you know, that kind of really highlights a lot of your attributes, too, because I came to know you as like a really amazing, you know, observational landscape kind of painter. There'd be, you know, obviously mornings where we go out in the field and literally it would be like 20 minutes and it's like done. And you're like, oh, gosh, um, <laughs> I got to step it up, you know. Um, ben, what about you? Is there something from that time that you kind of remember? Or again, I think John's well, idea of opening it up was kind of interesting, too. But Well, you guys probably didn't see my work as much. Um, I mean, that first year probably would have been a lot of like all thumbs because it's that first year of kind of uh, exploration. And I wasn't as keen on embracing the whole scope of it I, I realized in retrospect i wasn't the person who would you know like we all know jake wells and he i always called him sort of the poster child for what they wanted you to do which was he did small metals he did ceramics he did installation he did video he did all the new media stuff and i kind of wanted to make paintings i eventually got there but you know installation and video stuff found its way in but i wanted to say about kate's work i vividly remember the cabin the blind that you built over that sugar landscape that's one of those real vivid environmental installation memories that i have and again i didn't know you that well but i had seen the work kind of build over time and then just the sheer effort of getting that huge platform assembled in the surplus gallery and then the, the execution of it was awesome and the end result was really overwhelming to kind of take in and then to be in that cabin space which again i say it's vivid but i'm hoping i remember it correctly i don't know if we've talked about it since then but it was just jam-packed full of decor mm -hmm. there were frames yeah. covered in sugar and some you know i don't want to use the word kitsch but there's some kitschy stuff in there right oh I for sure that. like some cabin kind of decor as well as cottagey kind of things and uh that was really very memorable again not not being maybe brave enough to venture out and make friends 
uh, <laughs> at the beginning. I don't, I, I missed an opportunity to get to know like you and, and then to John's. I remember that piece you're talking about, Kate. And I also remember the video. I think you shot it at Bob's pond, right, John, with the decoys. Yeah. That you'd painted. I think it was just the steady camera shot, like a tripod sunset. Yeah. That was yeah. beautiful too. And then the elk painting, the diptych that was eight feet square. <laughs> I always like I always like those ones where you had drawn. I think there was a coyote and a, an elk that I remember really. And Dave, I remember yours. <laughs> I remember more of what you were doing um, in the in the making of your work than like the specific pieces. But there was a Virgette show that you did while you were on your way out. What was it, shirt patterns? Am I remembering that out of my <laughs> I love that piece. I think Kate asked about this in one of our conversations. So yeah, they were all shirts that were painted on boxes with like headsets to set to really awful 80s music. Yeah. Um, yeah, like my love, my love for CD <laughs> my love for plaid. <laughs> yeah, well, it was funny because I had, I think maybe it's one of those things that everybody sort of does at some point, but like I had drawn and painted notebook paper and grid paper and um, like the handwriting paper from grade school. I'd made those in undergrad and I had thought about painting. I wear plaid almost exclusively, which is a weird sort of <laughs> rhythm I fell into. But so I'd thought about painting the shirt patterns that I had. And then I was like, Oh, Dave, Dave did that. Well, I'm not going to do that. Plus <laughs> it was so interesting with the context of your architectural work. Like it was out of that realm, but it still had your color sense and your, I, I thought it was very like bittersweet sense of humor, but yeah, those, those pieces from all of you. And then I, I tell this story a lot, Dave, I don't know if I've told you that I use it a lot in class when I bring up your work. One of the things I remember Dave doing and I, Dave, I have to imagine you still have your broken palette knife, your handleless palette knife. Um, I think I do. Honestly, I can't remember. <laughs> I feel like a student stole it or something. Oh, <laughs> oh man. It was like the angled, you know, not the not the diamond shaped ones, but wrapped in tape. Yeah, I had, you wrapped it in tape. But like John and I were in our little nook and blasting music. And, you know, if you went into John's studio, it'd be like the series of changes, like paint something out, get the sander out, scrape something out, draw something again. And it was this kind of cyclical layering. And then I keep popping into your studio and you'd be mixing with that little palette knife with no handle. And um <laughs> And you'd be you'd be talking to me. You wouldn't break your your rhythm of speech, but you would hold up the color you just mixed to the one right next to it, and then you'd go back to work and you'd just dial in off of these really like low threshold contrast temperature changes and value changes, and it was really fun to kind of. I think at a certain point, I just sort of bopped back and forth to see what would happen next in both of your respective studios because <laughs> <laughs> it was like. All this action on one side on the surface and all this action before the surface. I don't know if you were doing the wintergreen transfers at that point, but the so I, I just found that really well eye opening as a first year student to kind of see two people that I knew lived together, that I knew worked a lot together, and uh, just the difference in approach and both of you making pretty stellar paintings with a wall between you. I don't know. That's a really funny little memory that pops up into my head a lot. It's going into John's studio going into your studio and just the difference between the two that was the days I, when uh we would commute together and go to panera before we <laughs> would hit the studio in the morning be the first ones there and get a big thing of coffee and we'd both get those huge baguettes 
And then we just <laughs> gnaw on them until lunch. <laughs> that was fun. I remember... I remember salsa being like a very viable option as a meal in graduate school. I was like, yeah, <laughs> chips and salsa. There's something to that. And then I remember also Dave was talking about John's prowess in plein air painting. And I went out with you guys to Pyramid State Park. It was the first time I'd done any plein air stuff in, I don't know, five years or something. I'm super nervous. We were in, uh, what was it, Betsy? Was that your truck? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I went over to Dave. Yeah, that was a great truck. I went over to Dave, who was setting up, and I said, I don't remember really what I'm supposed to do. And you gave me all these like good tips of, you know, working top to bottom and think about neutrals and thicker uh, brush strokes lead to kind of the foreground and, and give you this sense of increased space. And it was like a, you know, grocery list of tips. And my head was kind of stuffed. And then I walk over to John, who's got his headphones in, and he's smoking a red, and he's... <laughs> He's kind of singing along, and I go, "Hey, Dave gave me these like you know six tips or whatever," and you you went, "Uh huh," and I said, "Well, you got any tips before I hike up the hill?" And you went, "Uh, paint what you see." <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny, because <laughs> again, it just like highlighted the 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 same kind of shared wall story I was just telling. But to me, it just was you know a snapshot of you two and how you work and how you think about your work and. um and just, I think about that one a lot too. I love that you're like the the plein air guy now, Ben. Oh well, Dave, really? Those those leading up to your wedding day, wasn't that the year that you just went and cranked them out at the parks? Yeah, I kind of did. Like, I still have four to finish to make it to I think fifty or whatever I did. But dang, that's the funny thing. They were not at all from observation. That's the only thing that I was going to say relative to my work is that, like, I remember. And very recently, somebody asked me for like a class, like, when did you start painting on panel? And I honestly couldn't understand or think why. I feel like, Kate, we're going to have to jump back and not talk painting in a second. I feel like we're leaving you out. You're fine. But, you know, we all we all studied with uh, Bob Paulson, who, you know, was mm-hmm. super huge influence, I think, on a lot of people as, you know, such a gifted painter. But, you know, kind of going out in the field and working on panel, I think, is maybe the thing that kind of led into my paintings going from canvas to wood. And I think even though, like, I like that, you know, story that you told about, you know, the, the show at the Vergette, the boxes, you know, I've always mm-hmm. been kind of somebody that's kind of you know, come from a abstract background, you know, everybody in undergrad that I knew was all like a, you know, a modernist (laughs) kind of minded abstract expressionist. And so for me, I've always had to kind of reconsider that in my work. And so I think those kind of observational based works, you know, slowly kind of crept in there to the point where like now I feel like a, a still very tentative to say that I'm a representational painter and, you know, painting in and of itself, something that, is removed from the actual experience is still an abstraction anyways, but mm-hmm. it's been kind of remarkable in that sense. And like you said, I mean, like it's kind of a crazy experience because I made in comparison, really awful paintings back then. And, you know, through doing almost 50 of those little six by eight paintings, you know, obviously I've become a lot more comfortable <laughs> with painting landscape in that. Can I rewind a second? Kate, I'm curious what your undergrad, what was the incubator there? What did they sort of, sculpturally what was the what was the prevailing style and and then how how did that change because you were talking about metals and then going into the sugar work mm-hmm. that you made in graduate school like what's the arc from i guess undergrad to grad and to now i went to western illinois university 
And I chose that school because my parents went there and they had a good education, a college of education. And I actually have my undergraduate degree in art education and history. And I always did arts, but they wouldn't let you double major in the same department. So I technically don't have a a BFA. My intro to making work was through ceramics. And I never really liked throwing it on the wheel, but I loved hand building. And I had this really amazing, interesting professor who had been there for like 40 years. His name was Don Crouch. And he saw me sculpting and he said, you should be in sculpture department. Come on over. And he honestly, he scared me because he was, um, he was very uh, eccentric. Like he maybe showered once a week. He drove a truck that his kid painted and his like bench seat was like gone. So he sat on a bucket. Um, (laughs) He was just a very colorful man, and I was very timid. And I mean, I know I'm really loud and silly, but someone approached me like that. I was, he's a professor. I was like, okay. So I just started sculpting the figure, and that's pretty much what I did in all of my undergrad was drawing and figure sculpting. And I did bronze casting, and I really enjoyed the work of Kiki Smith. I think she was one of the first that I saw and realized, like, Sculpting doesn't have to be super traditional. It can get kind of weird and funky and you can have some awesome narratives with it and do some storytelling. So when I left undergrad, I felt a little like unbalanced. Like I felt like I could do a lot more. I was just kind of putting my toe in the water of art and I decided to go to grad school. I applied to a couple different schools and I like Southern's facilities. They have really great 3D facilities and they have like two wood shops, they could pour iron, you could pour bronze, you could pour aluminum. They had things like plasma cutters. I think now they have like a bunch of awesome stuff. I feel like I've missed out on some of that technology, but like CNC machines and all that kind of jazz. I messed around with all that because that's what I kind of knew my first year. And then I realized like there's a lot more things that I, I could experiment with and it doesn't need to be like in the traditional realm of sculpture. It doesn't need to be like metal casting stone, even like clay to a certain extent. And I just got really excited with using stuff I could find and just easily like have accessible to me, like cardboard, paper, glitter. I mean, I did like, I think I made like 50 glitter bunnies and put them <laughs> just like weird stuff. Like, and it just kind of kept evolving. And I really realized like installation was where my heart is. And it's in, it informed my work so much that I just, by my third year, that's just was my goal of making stuff. And I think now that I'm older and obviously being an installation artist is rather difficult. It's not like you can just, you know, just do an installation and like hang it in a gallery wall and say like, this is it. I think it's translated to even how I decorate my house and like how I design things. Like it's just, it's a level of design that I've kind of really moved into. Some of that you covered with your past interview, you and Dave. So forgive me for making you repeat some of it, but it does help me no, you're lock, fine. It in my, lock it in my brain more. And uh, man, that, that professor sounds like a trip. <laughs> he, he was, he had been there for so long. He taught my parents friends and then um, he graduated or sorry, he retired, I think like in the past 10 years. So he was there forever, but he was very traditional. I mean, like sculpting figures, sculpting animals, that kind of stuff, which I can do. But I realized, like, I enjoy other things more. Very cool. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> and Dave, I want to say one thing real quick. 
going back to graduate school, I really loved your, um, I, I think the name of the piece was a dance that never was. Was that the piece, the installation with like, you did a whole like high school kind of dance in the, uh, set up in the, um, in the gallery. Am mm-hmm. I remembering that correctly? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I love that piece. I remember walking in, like the lights were a certain way. You had music playing. You had chairs against the wall. Correct me if I'm not remembering things right. Yeah, it was kind of pathetic. <laughs> no, but it was it was so sad. It was amazing. And I remember there was like a table of like half-eaten food. And like people were walking into the gallery. And they actually thought it was like a snack table. But like it was part of your installation. I saw people like eating off of it. I was like, oh, this is crazy. And I remember like thinking this is like really, really, really fun. But I wanted to interject and, yeah. and, and highlight that piece. I ate off of it. <laughs> <laughs> and Dave, it's kind of just... cool, too, because you've got the most amazing wife now. And Hi, Amanda. It's freaking awesome, dude. Super. It's, it's great. It's great. Yeah, well, thankfully, I, I did meet somebody, and I didn't have to keep making really depressing artwork. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm really actually thankful of that. When was that one, Dave? I don't think that that might have predated me. Was that your first or second year? No, that was the end of the second year. You would have seen this show probably. It's probably when you visited, if I'm not mistaken. I also rescued my brother's oh. trophies, uh, his baseball trophies, because he was like the glorious one. And I <laughs> put them on a shelf because he just like was, I don't want those. He just you know wanted them all thrown out. So I think Kevin Curry had them at some point afterwards. I just gave all this crap to him. And so I want to, you know, actually, I want to redirect this, too, because, you know, one of the things that I think is really exciting is uh, John. You know, we've already alluded to this experience where we all got to go do this iron pour, you know, last year in uh, 2019 in November at uh, SIUC. Alex Lopez helped set that up. And, you know, they do that every year, which is really cool. But maybe, John, talk a little bit about how things have changed relative to your work. So well, it was a couple of years ago. I was shifting jobs and had some time off, was a little depressed, had a free pass to the Nashville Museum and decided to go. And there was a show up of some Monet work. And inside uh, was one of his bronze dancers. It was about four feet tall, maybe a little shorter. But it just blew my doors off. And I said, you know what? I know enough people. I've got enough friends. I can do something like that. And it just kind of shifted my gears away from painting. Like painting was starting to fade for me. Like I wasn't wasn't getting interested in it anymore. Uh, didn't want to do it. Had no drive or desire to do it. And so at work, after hours, I started building a block and then eventually carved out a wood duck. Then by uh, the grace of my good friend, Trey Gossett, that we all went to grad school with, lives about a mile away from me, fantastic sculptor. I was like, yeah, man, you want to you wanna make a bronze? I'll help you do it. So he taught me how to do all the processes, wax, the mold, and then got a hold of our old professor, Alex Lopez. And he was like, yeah, you want to do it, John? Let's make it happen. So then we just kind of moved forward with that and went to the foundry and during the iron pour and poured uh, an iron duck and two bronze ducks and had two of my best friends pour my ducks and got a really beautiful photo and, and videos of it. It was 
really, really, uh, really emotional, emotional weekend. And it's something to laugh at, too, because you guys were all placing bets on how many times I'd cry. <laughs> um, it was it was awesome. I guess from what the faculty said, it was the the biggest turnout of alums that any of them have ever seen. It, it was sweet. And I think not only for us and, and our relationships doing that, I think it really helped the faculty there through a trying time at SIU and their program development to see what all of them had created by having all of us together and got to see a product of all these people that went to school that are still super close friends and decided to come back to hang out and be a part of this thing and witness this poor and be a friend to me and enjoy each other's company and help excite the other students. I think watching our other faculty that were there, like Alec, Angela, and... Plus uh, Travis Jansen. Yeah, just, just seeing those guys get get pumped. And I think we put fuel on their fire, which which made me really happy. Yeah, right on. It's so interesting to me to think about how obviously the process is so different, too, because I think you were sanding them for like eight months or something too afterwards. Oh shit. I'm not, I'm not even done with the last bronze yet. It's still sitting here on the, on the table out in the garage. Oh man. Yeah. It takes forever, but also on the same token, I'm not, I'm not doing it every day. I'm not doing it every week. Right. Like I said, I, there's no kind of rush for me to get anything done anymore, which feels really nice. So when I feel motivated to do something, I'll do it. Well, and Kate, I believe you bought your new kiln this year. So something that we talked about was your kind of ceramic roots. And, you know, obviously after graduate school, that's something that you've been kind of exploring. But maybe you could talk a little bit about, you know, some of the things that have kind of changed since then. Yeah, I um, postgraduate school, I taught for a while. And then it was like high times of the recession and I ended up losing my job. And then some other stuff happened, and I actually haven't taught in like three or four years now. I made a switch from teaching to starting my own little shop, my own like little design shop, I guess, with more ceramic-based work called the Habitat Shop. And it was mostly influenced by my first daughter because I wanted to make some, I guess, cooler stuff for her room than I was seeing online, and I knew I could make it the way I wanted it to look. So... I started the Habitat shop. I had a kiln that's like literally our age and her name was Bertha and I love this kiln and it was a good kiln to figure out how to run a kiln because I understand a lot of processes of ceramics and sculpture, but there's so many. I'm, I can't say I'm proficient in all of them. So running an old kiln from like maybe 79 or 80, you really understand the feel of what it means to, to fire work in all different states. So that was a good lesson for me, but Bertha was old and she kept falling apart and there's a refractory brick on the inside that kept falling off and I'd have to make these pins and put it in. And I was kept doing that and they were just falling. So because of um, quarantine, a lot of the kiln makers in the U S have shut down. So there was only so many in stock. So I threw all my, you know, eggs in one basket, bought this kiln. It's pretty slick. It's like going from like a 1988 Corolla to like, I don't know, <laughs> a 2020 Tesla. I mean, I just like push a button and walk away. 
and it it's cool. I like it. It's definitely a different learning curve with this because you can do so many things. You can do all this programming, but it helps me with my work. It fires faster. It's probably more proficient in firing because it's even in the inside versus like hot spots you can get in a kiln. But I have found that this year, because we're all kind of in this weird situation and I'm, I have kids, I have two girls. I'm we're right now we're doing virtual school. So that's a lot. And you just with your kids all the time and shit gets crazy or sorry, stuff gets crazy. I mean, it's just <laughs> intense, right? I've also been writing down the stuff they say, especially my three-year-old. Cause she's just says like, she just says crazy things. My husband has a mustache and she says, I can't blow up a balloon. I don't have a mustache. <laughs> so, you know, I write all these like little interesting little things down and I've been making sculptures are making the getting the ideas of making sculptures based on their their habits or things that they say. My daughter also says like her name's Amelia, and I will say Amelia, you're so fun, or Amelia, you're so smart, and she'll say I'm not smart, I'm Amelia, and she gets very upset about it. She like <laughs> always wants to let you know that that's her name and she's nothing else but that thing. <laughs> so I'm kind of shifting gears a little bit with my shop for the next couple. Uh, months, I think probably till spring or summer and just making sculpture because I probably out of all you guys, I'm the only one that is doing like stuff strictly for sale, like running a little shop. And it's a lot of work. It's, it's a lot of dedication. It's like, I get joy from it, but there's also a large aspect of like, I got to find some time to make this, you know, commission or make these pieces for sale for, for my shop. So it kind of can burn you out and I just need to switch gears a little bit maybe work with other materials besides clay. I was thinking like, it's so strange. This is the longest I've ever worked in one material. And that's why I always think it's so interesting. People that we went to school with were like, I guess mostly the metal guys. I'm just kind of thinking of that only did like stuff in metal. Like, wow, that's just so amazing to be dedicated to one material for your life. You know, or even you guys with painting, it's like, that's what you love. And that's cool. I'm not like that at all. It's probably reflective of my personality. I just like to jump around and try new things. But Kate, can you talk about your dog lamp? (laughs) John, you're so funny. Oh my gosh. It's awesome. It's, it's freaking amazing. I did a piece that's basically, I guess a good, a good summary of 2020 of a dog just (laughs) taking a dump (laughs) Um, on a little grassy island or a little grassy platform with a tree under a tree and it's shitting out the wire to turn the lamp the lamp on and this is part of my problem I make this stuff and then I can't I don't have time to take a picture of it because as you guys know like to document document your stuff to post it online to like be the manager the you know it's just so much all the time so it's actually sitting in my closet because it's like one of the safest spaces in my home but it's this golden lab looking dog squatting with a brown cord that I actually hand turned. So it looks coiled and I, I have to work on it every once in a while to keep it really tight. Cause I have a certain look I want, you know, cause it's poop, right. It's got to look a certain way, you know, Ross does electrical stuff. So he helped me wire in there's an on off switch, but it's, it's really shitty. <laughs> <laughs> and I know John oh, loves it. So maybe John, it'll be yours someday. I don't know. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> I'll take good care of it. Ben, how about you? What have you, what have you been doing lately? Well, <laughs> I'm also a parent, so we've got a seven and a five year old that we're doing homeschool stuff with. So I echo Kate's concerns and <laughs> frustrations about the sort of locked in nature of everything. And uh, fortunately, Amy was kindergarten teacher for a decade, so 
I just kind of do as I'm told and try to help her steer the ship because she's really pretty amazing at this stuff. Um, so, but it's not easy because they don't know how to process all the stuff that's going on emotionally. So it gets really tough. But the uh, time I have at the studio is usually when they're asleep. So for a long time, I was just doing stuff at home at the, at the kitchen or the dining room table when everyone went to bed. And anymore, it's just I'm exhausted. So I kind of pop over here when they're doing afternoon rest. That's usually when we talk to each other. But I'm trying. I started this new thing or a new phase of a series of some of these still life objects back in the spring. And I, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what I'm doing. So <laughs> I don't really have an answer. I've been trying to get through my own kind of hangups of any of them looking done and, and trying to figure out what it all is going to be. And it's, I don't mind not knowing it's usually the best way for me to work, but yeah, I don't have, John was talking about, there's no deadline for this work. I don't have, like a, a planned exhibition for it and like kate i'm trying to treat some of the inventory that i have as sellable you know online purchase retail work like an online you know exhibition space slash shop so that's been fairly successful i'd say in this you know winter push but there are lots of lots of things that i try to do there's an abstract series i'm working on and a still life series that i'm working on and like Dave said, we were working on like texting music back and forth to each other. And I had, I have friends that I play in a band with and, you know, it's kind of like a bunch of dads with jobs, you know, <laughs> that'd be a great name right there. <laughs> dads with jobs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's actually, we're going to, a friend of ours that joined us, like we were a three piece through college. I think we played at PKs one time and you guys came, but I don't know if you were all there or not. The effort we put in the last year or so was cobbled together quite quite well even though it's a it's a do-it-yourself job our friend brett put together the recording equipment we had and he had the skills and so <laughs> he played some parts and he helped produce the whole thing and it's going on Bandcamp, i think next week uh or the 11th so decals.bandcamp.com there should be something there um which is kind of fun to see it come to fruition after all that kind of you know we would get together weekly pre-covid and Really just, it was time to bond with each other, but we have instruments in our hands. Yeah, Dave sending me music to play to is a great relief. I'm self-taught, so I'm not a great drummer, but um, we've we've put together a couple of really fun songs, I think. I think you guys have too, from the stuff you've shared with us. Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know how you feel about it, Dave, but it's like one of those things that there's no pressure involved in it. Like you that's how I feel at least I'm, I'm if I have something that comes to mind that I could play that would make sense for what you played then I I try that and send it to you and so far you haven't been like no absolutely not that's terrible <laughs> uh, <laughs> not at all what I was wanting so until that point I'll just keep kind of chipping away at it at, at that pace but it is it is fun we all talk music and art and comedy and general entertainment but if you'd told me as as an undergrad that I would be painting landscapes and still lifes, I would have laughed in your face because I wanted to be what Dave was talking about. I wanted to be a modernist, abstract painter. I wanted to be Richard Diebenkorn, quite honestly. That's kind of exactly what I was going to say. You know, like I'm amazed, you know, especially kind of seeing you've gotten so slick at observational painting. And I think back <laughs> to, 
Oh my gosh. John's John's like, you suck. <laughs> um, but, but I was going to say, you know, you got so slick with observational painting and it's really awesome to kind of see that shift because it's just so different, you know, but, um, you know, to kind of address some of the things that you were talking about, it's funny to me because I'm like, you know, I, I actually counted the months that I've been teaching online because I kind of literally got like a, you know, on a Thursday, it's like, oh, Monday, we're going online. Yeah. And so I freaked out, you know, like I'm really single minded. It's hard for me to kind of have a number of things going. So, I mean, even like with my podcast, kind of getting that going, being able to get into running is almost become my work. And then, you know, trying to figure out how to make video demos has been such my job that I feel like finally I'm getting to a point where I'm really comfortable with that. And I think for the mental space aspect of it, it's just really thrown me for a loop this year. But I do feel a lot better because, you know, having talked to artists, I've talked to some artists that, you know, haven't made stuff for a couple of years, you know. So I think that that break is something that's almost kind of rewarding, you know. And as you all know, I've been running kind of religiously. I feel like that's almost my work. So you know, as I'm running this morning, I'm seeing these funky kind of like tree shapes and shadows and all these colorful shadows that are super Wayne Tebow like kind of falling over these suburban neighborhoods and stuff like that. So I've been kind of catching these glimpses of things that I've gotten, you know, really interested in. So I feel like now that I have <laughs> some some kind of a semblance of proficiency with video editing, I feel like I'm slowly getting to that point where I'm getting excited about making stuff again. But that's why I agree that it's been fun uh, trying to figure out how to play guitar, even though I feel like I'm, you know, you say you're self-taught. I, I say I suck, you know, <laughs> like, I'm just like, what? It's a guitar. But again, that's been something that's really kind of interesting to kind of approach, you know, and to learn a new skill like that. You know, I think that's one of the things that's kind of remarkable for all of us is that we've all kind of learned, you know, so much since graduate school you know like that sense of like being a student has really been something that's apparent to me what about you all i don't know i think at this point we can kind of just open it up to just whatever but anybody have any interesting thoughts or ideas or i was thinking about what you said about guitar there's a mitch hedberg joke that i'm sure i'll butcher because i can't no one can deliver it like mitch hedberg but he says i taught myself how to play guitar but i would never have gone to me because i didn't know i didn't know how to do it you know that's how i feel about my drumming sometimes like if i had actually studied this <laughs> i might have i might have some better chops and yeah it is it is just a fun relief i don't really think of that so much as my work but when i get little you know demo clips from you or from other friends and i can sit down because the hardest thing about i mean i would have to think sculpting or, or like small metal stuff that some of our friends have done would be so hard out of a school setting like you don't have access to all the equipment and the materials that you need and and like having a guitar in your apartment or your house isn't a big deal uh but having a drum set in your house <laughs> is a is a burden and so it's fortunate to have enough space to kind of squish it into a corner here at the studio and uh i did that pre-covid and i was so thankful i had it in here um because in march when things like dave said flipped like a switch to online i was in the studio a lot i'd already set everything in motion face to face and then we went on spring break and we just never went back so i had people i could i could say remember what we talked about and go ahead and finish this series and we'll start this one and so on occasion i could sit down and like try to practice the drums but it is i'm sure kate would have things to offer on this too it is hard to kind of steal away moments at any given time because with 
parenting responsibilities and the sort of co-parenting, co-teaching at home. And then I bail out and come over here and try to do my online Zoom stuff for my students and then go home, make dinner and do the whole bedtime routine and then start the whole thing over. It just is, it, it, you kind of find these rhythms and hope that you can get in there. I don't know if your new kiln is helping you in any of that, Kate, because you can trust it and it's, it's sounds pretty Star Trek-y, like just computer. Yeah, it's nice. I mean, with, um, <laughs> it is because I can, I could just let it go and like go to sleep because I, one time with my old kiln did that, it was firing off fine. It had, uh, like one more cone to go and, and I went to bed and woke up the next day and it was still on and the garage was like super hot. And I like freaked out because mm-hmm. that's just a whole nother epic meltdown of technical crap that I don't feel like talking about, but no, this is nice. Um, it's, I think just life right now is super weird and trying to make work or find time to make work. I almost feel like I have to fight for it. I think being a mom is is an interesting hat you wear because you your kids always default to you even if dad's right there it's like oh, yeah. i want mom to help me so i i feel like people think because i have my studio in my house and i'm a you know i guess you know still making work practicing artist whatever that i like let my kids hang out and play in my studio all day and no I don't because this is like my workspace and it's the one space where I will, I will let them do projects. I will set it up and it's supervised, but just free reign of like, Oh cool. My mom's an artist. I'm going to go make stuff. It's not happening right now because one, I would lose my mind. And two, my kids are pretty young. I think people Mm -hmm. might have ideas of like, Oh, it's so cool to like have little kids and make fun stuff with them. It is, but it's also super stressful and sometimes not fun because in your head, it goes really fun, really great. It's like this memory. And then in reality, it's like, what is my life? That's how I'm feeling right now. So I did get the kids. Somebody just gave me like a French box easel, which was amazing. Like a community member who had taken like a summer plein air class with me just for fun that I had done out of my studio, not for the college, but uh, she just gave me this French box easel that she wasn't using anymore. So I put mine and hers out in the back yard and the kids and I painted outside. And that was, you know, that's more, I think that's a good, yeah, I think to your point earlier, Ben, it's like ceramics and clay and metals, whatever. These are things that get messy. They're kind of dangerous. You have to use tools and not so much clay, like just making something with clay, but it's, there's um, a different level of supervision that happens and Mm -hmm. you have to like, you just can't let them go nuts. Like I'll do painting projects with the kids, but it's just a different level. But then sometimes I feel guilty that I don't do enough creative stuff with my kids. It's kind of it's a crazy headspace. Well, then, John, I was curious, too, because we were talking about all the pitfalls or, or process steps. They're not pitfalls. You know, it's, it's hard to think about a painting combusting <laughs> unless you make it um, combust. But, like, what part of that bronze and iron process was the most nerve-wracking? Was it getting the form made in the first place? Or did you feel no. like because of, because of your finished carpentry skills, I bet that part was, like, kind of borderline fun? Oh, it was, it was super fun. The whole process of making it, you know, making the wood form and doing the waxes and having molds fail and then rebuilding molds, all that was super fun. Huh. Probably the, the most stressful part about it was finishing them. Uh, when they came out, they looked great. I mean, no, no visible 
defects or anything. But then once, you know, starting to get into finishing them and, and sanding them down, you realize there's these pits and, you know, just trying to get it to a, a perfect flat surface, smooth surface. And mm -hmm. on every duck, there was some sort of problem. Hmm. I'm, I'm not a master at all when it comes to, to pouring metal, but where air didn't fully escape would create air pockets and it would look like a little pit. And specifically on this last duck that I'm, I'm working on for a friend to, to get it ready for him. On the back of the head, there was this little pit. And, you know, I started filing it and sanding it, thinking like, all right, it'll work itself out. And before I knew it, I was taking off a little too much meat that I was comfortable with. I was like, okay, I got to stop. And I took a pin, stuck a pin into the pit, and that thing went in like a quarter of an inch. And I was like, oh, God, there's a huge cavity in here. And I'm like, I can't do anything anymore. I'm like, how am I going to fix this now? I've got a hole that's maybe the eighth of the size of a penny, but a, a serious visible hole on the back of the head. And I'm like, how am I going to fix this? How am I going to fix this? Thankfully, once again, I've got good friends that are metals guys. And um, our buddy Jason, I took it over to him and he's like, yeah, I think I can fix this. So I took some of the cutoff sprues that I still had from cleaning up the duck off of the process and took some of that bronze over to him and he hammered it out and turned it into a, a little stick and TIG welded a patch on the back of the head and buffed it out, brought it back to me and said, okay, whatever you do now, he's like, I've sanded this to a 400 finish. Do not touch the back of the head at all anymore. <laughs> so I, I'm super thankful that he fixed it because I was like, I, there's no way in hell I can fix this. <laughs> I mean, totally out of my wheelhouse. But yeah, that this that was probably the most stressful. So when they so how, when they did oh, when they did come out when they did come out of um, their ceramic shells, I mean, they look they look perfect. But it's so so deceiving. You don't really know until you start getting in there and sanding. And you're just like, oh crap, there's that. <laughs> I imagine stuff just like flaking off. But I know that's not. It's really, really hard. True. No, it's like it's stressful when you do anything sculpturally like that, because there's so many things like, John, you just you can't you literally can't control. You can't control the temperature of which the metal was poured. You can't control the specific alloys that were in that metal. You just you just bought it from the foundry, which, you know, they have good stuff. But you know, how the mold was, how it cools. It's just a lot of um, what ifs that I think when you learn three you just have the same thing with ceramics you might make something really awesome and it cracks in the kiln and you're like oh shit you know and it's just like it's like it's gone or you have to embrace it the cracking move forward so it's yeah. a it's kind of it's a joyful and stressful at the same time definitely stressful and it's cool because i'm <laughs> i'm getting i'm getting used to learning this new process and it was great being around you kate and and trey and you guys pouring it and alex and 
you guys telling me these things and I was just like, well, why, why can't I control it? And they're just like, you just can't, you just can't. <laughs> it's like, Oh, but I want to. <laughs> it makes painting seem like a real leisurely uh, medium. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Being a painter and then getting into this, you're literally is stuff you can't control. And I'm like, well, you can control everything in painting, but you yeah. can't control stuff in this. You just can't. But it's it's crazy when you look at like what you started with, John, and like the end process. I think sometimes you're, I would think what you achieved is pretty pretty awesome, pretty monumental. Plus, it makes you realize like all the steps you had to do. Like you started with a block of wood to get to a bronze casting. Like there's a lot of things in the middle that you have that have to do, and that's you know. Well, I know the reason why sculpture is you need a nice facility and it gets expensive. Right. Yeah. I was I was blown away at how much it was going to cost to make three ducks. I got super stoked and was like, man, I'm going to make six of them. And <laughs> Alex Lopez just started laughing out loud on the phone to me. He's like, <laughs> you're not going to be able to afford that. <laughs> <laughs> Again, right. makes painting seem so, so totally leisurely because like I can usually afford paint. It's not a big deal. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't been in a bind where I'm like, I want to make six paintings, and I was like, I can't afford that paint. That's not gonna work. This weird kind of disconnect. Because you're talking about Jason York, the fixture, yeah, fixture piece. Uh huh. Yeah, because York made my uh, wedding band I'm wearing right now, but right. he lived with he lived with uh, Aaron Dorder and Mark Ponder, and so like uh, I got to kind of be a fly on the wall sometimes when they would talk about the metalsmith concept of work and yeah. um then you know then mark and i are like sitting in these armchairs that we got at the thrift store and um reading and that's like a day in the studio <laughs> <laughs> and it was just such a funny kind of dynamic to think about hammer strokes because a lot of the stuff that aaron was doing was like raised vessels and i think he made a lot of his chasing and repose tools but then you know hammer strokes equals uh, work for them and like you know i would maybe get part of a painting started and go oh i don't know if it's any good and like i was talking about moments ago and then it sits on the wall for weeks and i have to consider what i do next and like they don't have time for that it's <laughs> it's a matter of putting you know, physical action and in, in play and so i always kind of enjoyed them talking about it i enjoy hearing you guys talk about it too kate and john that whole process it really it did probably seep into my brain at some point what that would cost you to do but i don't remember you saying or i can't i can't access any time when you had six in your conversation about it that would have been even I, more monumental of an undertaking I, I, I think there's a certain math equation you have to do in terms of weight of your wax versus price of material especially for bronze and at the time i was quite strapped for cash and so it, it put a definitely put a strain on my wife and i's relationship a little bit but she <laughs> knew i needed she knew i needed to do this and you know for some people it's a lot for some people it's nothing a drop in the bucket or whatever but i think it was like around $350 or something in material for all three ducks. Oof. Dang. 
to get them poured and then they cut me a deal an alumni deal which was sweet getting the uh the ceramic shell put on them so i'm definitely really blessed they hooked me up and all my friends kate and trey and alex they crushed it all i had to do was the hard work and they got to do the really cool fun stuff <laughs> oh you're sweet john next time you have to pour with us you have to get your own set of leathers <laughs> yeah i'm definitely going to do that for sure when i rolled up and saw kate and her leathers i was like okay all right okay Kate's like i can't visit with kate too long because she's really working right now <laughs> it's like serious stuff was going on there was that you know plume that happened that was wild Oh, shit catches on fire all the time. That's how I actually one time caught on fire during iron pour. My boot caught on fire and I didn't even know it, but someone put me out. They had sand next to you because it's kind of scary, but it's fun when you have your own set of leathers because you can decorate them. And I, I haven't worn them in so long because I can't cast here. I don't have that facility, right. but uh, I forgot all the stuff that was on there. And like, I have a, there's a pocket it says eat shit. Like I wrote that in with marker and people are like, that's so ho- hardcore. And I was like, I was like 25 when I did this. I thought it was cool. I guess, I mean, some maybe it kept people from talking to me that I didn't really want to talk to. So I guess it's a, a, a deterrent, but you get to have that joy, John, you can put your, your 2d skills to the test and get some awesome markers and put your own flair on them. I'll make it happen. John, John will like track the animal he makes the leathers from. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like yeah, that a lot. Yeah. I actually really cool. You could definitely make your own chaps. That would be those. Those are pretty. Those are pretty straightforward. Dave, I have a question for you too. That um, I'm still curious about because at one point you were making, you were roasting coffee. Are you still doing that? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, are you still making any beer? No, no. I had a explosion okay. last spring so <laughs> no. Oh, I, was, no. I was bottling and burst a hole like in my bottling bucket explosion so. yep yeah I, I was i had fermented a beer and i was bottling it and hoisting it up on my fridge and unbeknownst to me the um the plastic had degraded so i punched a hole through it because you need gravity to help uh <laughs> make it easy easy to fill up these bottles so yeah, I kind of had, you know, maybe half of my five gallons uh, go on the floor Oof. and oh, managed to shit. get most of it in the sink. So that was good. Um, oh, no. But um, that's sticky. <laughs> it was. It was. One of the things that's really interesting to me to think about, you know, this conversation is just how much people have adapted during this time, you know, and actually kind of perfect timing for you, John, you know, prior to, you know, everything shifting so much and. You know, that's something that I think about relative to this year is, you know, just there's obviously people that have had various experiences losing their jobs. You know, I lost a class. I know, John, you've been in a position where, like, again, you don't have that luxury or, you know, something where your job can move to be mobile. So, you know, I know that you've had to kind of work through all of this. And so I think that's probably got to be, you know, pretty difficult as well. But then I know at the same time, just like we've been talking about, there's something interesting to think about you know, how that's also maybe probably made you more resilient, or at least like the experiences in the past. And I know, especially John, that you're, you know, an avid hunter. So I'm assuming that's something that you're kind of getting excited about. And, you know, maybe that's something that we can all maybe talk about just kind of going in from this weird year (laughs) into things that we're looking forward to in like 2021, or, you know, just things that are going on now that we're kind of excited about working on or or doing or. Yeah, to be honest, this for some 
strange twist of fate, which I will totally accept. This has been probably the best year I've had in a very, very long time in the midst of all this. Yeah, it's been a little stressful, a little nerve wracking. But in terms of my scope of work and moving forward with my career, this has been the most successful year I have ever had in my life, which is strange to say in the midst of a COVID-19 pandemic when, you know, all my neighbors are working from home and getting in my car every morning and driving to a work site. There's definitely been stress to it. Being at a job site with, you know, on a, a multi-million dollar build, many, many millions of dollars going into this job site and literal army of different tradesmen on the job site and no way to keep yourself completely safe or sanitized and having to share two porta potties with on any given day eight guys or or 50 guys and those only getting cleaned once a week (laughs) it can test your nerves for sure and then i think just going through it for so long obviously being safe and you know trying not to touch stuff using hand sanitizer washing my hands when I have the opportunity to wash them, which is far and few between. But it mentally builds up a resilience in yourself to say, well, I'm doing all that I can and let the cards fall where they may. And after months and months of that, it just becomes not obsolete in thinking because I still think about it today and I still have these habits but the the stress level of it is not nearly as what it was before well so and thinking about this for everybody kind of moving forward obviously you know we're all in this kind of messed up situation John and I both don't have families so I guess I would just kind of divert it to (laughs) those that do have other ones to kind of look after like you know Kate we've talked a little bit about some of the challenges that you're having you know just Again, raising children, schooling them, also trying to kind of make artwork. So, you know, you were alluding to this a little bit earlier, but like what's your game plan going forward into 2021 in terms of getting back to some of these sculptural works? I guess the way I make work outside of the Habitat Shop is very much inspired by my environment and things that are happening to me. So doing a series of work some kids the way they act makes sense to me so I'm, I'm actually really excited to do that and when I have a little bit of that balance of making something I want to make versus something that I enjoy making but I know it's for my shop I think I need that the headspace plus also it's good to take a break from your studio in general sometimes I put too much pressure on myself to get in here and make stuff so 2021 I just hope to make some good sculptures see what happens with the markets and fairs. I'm still making things, so I'll probably have to make less when I actually do a fair, so I won't be as stressed out, which is nice. Um, And just continue to, I guess, exist in our little bubble that we live in. It's kind of stressful, like you mentioned, homeschooling and stuff. And it's just a lot mentally. I'm like taxed out. My hope is once a vaccination comes into play that everyone gets vaccinated, my kids can get to school and be at camp this summer. And I'm just going to sit alone on the beach, staring at Lake Michigan by myself and laughing and crying at the same time because I'm finally alone. (laughs) (laughs) 
Ben, you got to follow that, you know? <laughs> oh man, that's yeah. Whoa. I'd echo a lot of that. I'm looking forward to when everything can, I sort of feel like John, where we've all had to kind of internalize these patterns of behavior. And I think there's probably going to be, there's got to be some good that comes out of it culturally or globally or something meaningful where we've internalized habits that are going to be positive moving forward. And I Bitcoin. (laughs) 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 Well, things, small things like, yeah, the, the online payment stuff, I guess is what, I don't know if that's what John's talking about or not. (laughs) Bitcoin as a Bitcoin as an interjection really through, <laughs> but it's but it's like uh, we we are in our bubble, Kate, like you were talking about, and I'm not the mom, but they want mom all the time, and I've jokingly said it to all of you, I'm sure, but I'm the I'm the third option in a two option system with the kids. <laughs> they would prefer to be alone if they can't have. <laughs> I'm like, I'm right here. I'm good. Use me. And they're like, no, no, that's okay. I'll wait. So <laughs> mom, nothing me. And if there are any dads listening who can echo that, I, I hear you. Do you it's feel funny. sad or happy? I feel like I can't help when they do that. So it's frustrating, to be honest, oh. because I want to be useful. And then it's usually trivial stuff that they don't want me for, you know, some kind of task that if I did it, if they would cooperate, then Amy wouldn't have to do it, you know. And so I try well, to about, make that. In about 20 years, that'll all change. You'll be the one they're going to. Oh, well, who knows? We have our bright moments, obviously, because they're interesting people to be around. And when they're the only people you can really be around with any kind of, <laughs> with any kind of regularity, it is nice. Learn little little nuanced things about them. So I, I, I think what's going to be interesting, at least in 2021, let's let's depict a scenario where everything is open again and schools are normal in the fall or whatever that's me being cautiously optimistic for the fall but both of them will be in school and so it's going to be this really weird mm-hmm. moment where amy amy and i are going to be looking at each other like huh <laughs> this saturation point that we've all reached of of homeschooling and togetherness that it will be upended when they both are in school because we're doing the pre-k stuff with him now and you know that would have been if we had done it like his sister's uh, preschool it would have been you know three days a week or something and only three hours those days so it would have been this kind of like spotty nature of of preschool for him so the fact that I get to do these things with him and try to be useful for his schooling when Amy's really the master at that makes me feel uh, useful in in those ways where they're like you know pass I'll pass on dad um, but then when they have to work with me and I get to see them like process the alphabet and math i'm just sort of dumbfounded because it's happening at a pretty rapid rate so that's uh beside the point of your question about making things dave but i think when things are calmer obviously using the studio time or you know getting back to campus and having the connection with students would be nice i'm looking forward to that because i've met some of these people in their second year we've already had a year together or a semester and a half where we we could get used to each other's personalities dave i don't know how you're feeling about the students that you've only met virtually and the prospect of like being in a room with them there's a disconnect with the people i have yet to physically be in the studio with and i'm looking forward to that changing and seeing what happens with the dynamic i still don't know what the work will look like but i like kate's idea of sitting on a beach that sounds 
You could come we to Sheboygan and you can sit on the beach together. <laughs> we come I think we, we should all go to Sheboygan. You it's guys know once this is things. all over, you're coming up to my house. I'm going to just, we're going to make a bunch of grilled food. We're going to sit in the backyard and we're well, just going to get curds. crazy. And cheese curds, whatever. And we'll just get crazy and then we'll go swimming. I like, it looks ideal out where you're at. Kate, when you go, when you post those pictures or protect those pictures of the hike to the lake. Mm -hmm. You know, I would never have chosen to move. I mean, not that I want to get into that whole situation, but of the upteen places we put out and up in the United States to live here. Like I can, it'd be a little bit of a walk. I've done it and uh, it's just, it's magnificent beauty. That's just there all the time. Whenever you want to go see a day or night, cloudy, rainy, sunny. I mean, I've seen rainbows over the lake. I've seen it sunrise, sunset, snow, icebergs. I've sailed on it now. It's just awesome. It's a it's a gift. It's just treasure. Dave, what about you? What about twenty twenty one for you? Yeah, again, I'm I'm looking to kind of get back to things somewhat. Um, I actually kind of like the distance in some regards because I don't have an extra you know eight hours a week that I'm driving or whatever it is. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I I really am kind of interested in this idea of having a little bit of time or distance from something because it's never been like that. You know, I've been kind of trying to go pretty hard since I graduated. And so this is kind of like the longest break that I've had, but I think it's been actually kind of good to be able to step back and think about stuff and, you know, kind of working through demos and recording them. You start doing things that you didn't realize you can do. You know, I made maybe my third self-portrait last spring that I'm actually kind of like, damn, I can, I can draw a little bit, you know, which is weird because like, again, you kind of have this, you know, idea in your head of what you're supposed to be, what your skill set is as an artist. So it's just kind of interesting to kind of shake that up. So I'm excited to kind of get back to some painting and some other things for sure, which is why, again, you know, like I, I really get a lot from just being outside kind of like maybe all of us are, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And I think that especially rings true. I know, John, we got to put you to bed soon so that you can get out at, I think three in the morning, you're going <laughs> to paint yourself, <laughs> you know, all camoed out. Oh, yeah. And again, that, maybe talk a little bit about that. Are you interested in that? Obviously, that's kind of the most exciting time of year for you is, is this time of year. Yeah. Yeah. These uh, these next two months are my favorite time of year for waterfowl hunting. And uh, it's been real lackluster here in Middle Tennessee the past couple of years. And my good friends, Stefan and Trey, really, really sweet awesome dudes and they both have boat we're gonna try something tomorrow which is really exciting which i've never done before trey just got a blind rig for his boat and i went to go help him and stefan put it on his boat which is essentially just a, a metal frame that attaches to the top of your flat bottom boat and you lift it up and it creates like a curtain wall of mesh and material called raffia and you you blind it in to make it look like reeds and stuff and we're gonna go to west tennessee tomorrow morning i think it's like an hour and a half drive which <laughs> it's gonna be a real early morning to get <laughs> no out kidding. there before before sunrise and we're gonna go open water hunting where we'll just go out to the middle of the lake and pop it up and throw decoys out and pretend we're a floating island and try to trick the ducks. 
So we'll see what happens. I don't know. <laughs> Definitely getting into um, more video documentation of this, which is fun. I think it's going to be a new avenue for artwork and documenting my hunts. Had a really lackluster opening day last weekend. It's super fun. It, it's great to like go back and look at like how this opening day was a, a total epic failure. <laughs> but, but for some reason, we still all had fun out there. So hopefully we get some ducks tomorrow. That's that's the goal. Well, and I think it's interesting to think about the video aspect of it, too, because that might be even something that circles back around. I can't help but think, you know, being up so early that it's, you know, pitch black out to see the sun, you know, slowly emerge. It's got to be pretty inspiring, too. It's amazing watching all that happen. And even with a good GoPro, even at like the earliest light, probably a half an hour before sunrise where you can actually see things with your naked eye. The camera just can't capture it. Well, again, you know, as we're kind of getting wrapped here, I just want to ask, you know, Kate, you know, remind us again where people can find your stuff and, you know, what what's going on in your studio and, and Ben and maybe John, if you have anything to add, I don't know. You can follow me on Instagram at the Habitat Shop and shop is spelled S-H-O-P-P-E. And... Through that, you can find my link to my Etsy store. And if anyone ever wants me to do a commission, I'm always down for that. I have some fun ornaments and kind of wacky magnets on my Instagram page that I'm just selling directly off my page. There's, they're not listed on Etsy, so you could just check those out. And then just see my process in general. I pretty much am only on... Ben, you're on the Snapchat, right? No. mbencohan.com is the website. And then M. Ben Cohan Studio on Instagram. You can find um, some work for sale on both those places. I guess I'll plug that music that I have coming up too with my friends. It's decals.bandcamp.com. I don't know when Linaway. I got a I, name for your guys' band. It should be called uh-oh. Whiskey Slippers. <laughs> <laughs> the as of yet unnamed two person project. Um, the David Linway project, like uh, Alan Parsons, like that. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, and to piggyback off of that, you know, I, I think John was the smart person and got rid of all social media. He's probably a lot happier because of it, because I know that a lot of us are constantly on our phones. But I did reorganize all of my website stuff, so of course, check it out at davidlinaway.com. I will end by saying I'm very, very happy that we've all been kind of, you know, talking so frequently and kind of helping to support each other during this time so again it's been really kind of rewarding and helpful and supportive so again thanks all of you for being so awesome so yeah thanks for doing this dave thanks for doing this you know hosting this uh awesome opportunity and i'm really glad that over the past year ish we reconnected and like just getting to know you better ben um of course dave john and myself are all in the same year so we were like siblings sometimes I'm, I look back at the time we had it at SIU and just so amazed and lucky and fortunate that we had the size of classes that we did with the first, second, and third years and that we all got along so well. And, you know, a dozen, 15 years on, you know, we all keep in touch. We all still love each other. And if somebody called me up and said, hey, I need help, I would have no problem, you know, doing what I can because it was like this magical place it was you know there were struggles for sure but the fact that we got to meet each other and do work together 
and be friends, I think is super rare because I don't know anyone else who had a master's program like that. And it was just really such a, an amazing experience. And I feel so fortunate. Kate, the same back to you about um, getting to know you over this past year has been really great too. And just being able to feel like I can text any of you at any point and follow up on something we may have talked about. The conversations have been really important to help me kind of get some things just have, I mean, just honestly, just to have fun, but also to get some things off my mind about studio work or about lockdown or about teaching or parenting or whatever it is. But uh, Dave, I think this is really great that you've had this, you say ninth, ninth year. That's something really impressive that you've been doing this podcast for, for, for this long. And you've really gotten mm-hmm. so many great interviews on the books and just the outreach you do with your exhibitions and the ways that you're trying to get people recognized and you really, I mean, you're hustling all the time. I think about all the things that you're doing, (laughs) which are impressive on their own. And when you put them all together into one package, that is Dave Linaway. It's really, it's really something, man. You should feel really proud. Thanks, man. I love you guys. Love you guys. Love you too. Love you too. I I love everybody. You're part of you're part of the fold. <laughs> Thanks everybody. Bro hard, Dave. Thanks once again to Kate, Ben, and John for joining me today. As we have described, there is a end of the year sale going on for some of us, so be sure and check it out. That's KatherineKaminsky.com, but more importantly, the Habitat Shop on Instagram and Etsy, so be sure to follow and check out Kate's work as there's a lot available, as well as Ben's site, mbencohan.com, and of course you can see more of his work and what's available at Ben Cohan Studio on Instagram. Ben is also part of a band called The Decals, and they had a new album that dropped just today. That's decals.bandcamp.com. If you want to see what paintings of mine are available, go and visit davidlinaway.com. And, of course, be sure to follow me on Instagram at davidlinaway. And to get a hold of John Reddington, I would just say shoot up a flare. If you enjoyed today's interview and you want to hear others, go to studiobreak.com. We feature a variety of different artists up there, each of which have images of their art posted along with these interviews that you can listen to right in the default player. You can find links to their websites. And, of course, you can also easily subscribe to the podcasts and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google. So be sure and find the links on the left sidebar and subscribe. And, of course, if you enjoy the podcast, please say hello and let us know. You can find Studio Break in a number of social media formats. So like our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter at Studio Break. And, of course, on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. And, of course, don't be shy. It's great when listeners especially pipe in and let us know that you are enjoying this podcast. So be sure and say hello. You can especially help Ben and I figure out what the name of our two-piece is. Is it the Linaway Project? Whiskey Slippers? Who knows? Could be Remedial Indie Band. I don't know. But that is the music that you are listening to in the intro and outro is Ben and myself. I hope that you enjoy today's conversation as you're listening in the studio, of course. I know that it's been a very challenging year for many of us, so it's been especially important for me and this group of artists who have this community and fellowship and really support. It's been a very challenging year, as you well know, so hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Hope that you're staying safe and having productive studios. We'll talk to you real soon.